Welcome to episode 136 of the Cincy Postcast. I'm your host, Kevin Wallace, and we have a very, very, very full episode for you today in part one. Yeah, there's some soccer to talk about. Transfers in, transfers out. The latest on Brandon Vasquez, Miles Robinson, and Alvaro Barrial. I will let you in on a little secret here. We recorded this on Thursday of last week. So this is before the U.S. men's national team roster was released. However, you will find comments, I'll say particularly from me, pretty relevant after the the dropping of that roster there. Uh, After that, it is in the 11 out of the 18. You wrap all that up. You got yourself a postcast. And joining me to talk about all of that and more, we've got two lovely individuals here ready to talk about, God, I was just looking at the show notes. We have some soccer to talk about. I really thought the offseason could just be chill and normal, but since this is Major League Soccer, things are condensed. Joined by the Chief, joined by Grayson. Chief, I think we're like 45 days away from MLS kicking off. Are you ready? What the hell is happening? No, <laughs> no, I'm not ready. <laughs> it's an absurdly short off season. It's funny. I was talking to the wife about this and I mentioned, it's like, oh man, we get taping the show tonight. Only uh, a couple weeks left in the off season. And she had this look on her face like, what? <laughs> I was no. promised I'd have some downtime from you constantly going to games, recording two shows a week. I thought I'd get you back. And it's like, no. Grind never stops, babe. <laughs> no, no breaks on this trade. Grayson, how how of the uh, the ones close to you in your life are th- are they being impacted by this? Do they feel under the gun by the off season? <laughs> um, I was I was telling my wife yesterday that like uh, we sold uh, Brandon Vasquez and she was kind of shocked at that. And then mm. I uh, said, "Well, we brought in Miles Robinson," and she. I had to explain to her who Miles Robinson was. Um, and then uh, what her response was, oh, so you actually have something to talk about on your on your podcast. On your little show. And I was like, I was like, you have you have no idea. <laughs> the conversation has been ongoing. This is only just sort of the culmination and the wrap up of everything that's been happening online. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We I mean these two, at least as of you know the the moment them happening, were not surprises. Maybe where Vasquez ended up was was a little bit of a surprise, but um, it still doesn't mean they're they're not a big deal. The, these are huge you deals. Was, you don't think this was surprising? Like I, after Palacios signed Corinthians, mm. I had kind of already mentally gone to a place where I was thinking to myself, okay, they're going to strike out on their two big targets and we're going to see really what what albright has cooking yeah so like the idea that that miles robinson signed and there wasn't a lot of drama we didn't hear about him visiting other clubs we didn't hear about him having a ton of pending offers elsewhere and if you read what's been out there and put out there is that he putting to paper 
10 days ago when they're just now announcing it. So they kept this pretty close under wraps. Verbally or they kind of came to terms like 10 days ago. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I think he put pen to paper this week. I mean, if you saw the video they posted, the man's like miming a pen. Where do I I sign on his initial visit? So it's a a good sign if you're Chris Albright. This was a non-dramatic. Oh, they just went out. They targeted this individual. They got their man. That's kind of cool. I didn't expect it would be this normal. It was dramatic in the sense where it's like when like your your kid is out of the room for 30 minutes and then you don't hear them. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're like something's wrong. Yeah. The spidey senses like, tingle. Yeah. It's kind of like that where um we heard about Miles Robinson coming. Uh Tom Bogert had the comment on extra time that that week that he thought, you know, it was significant that he came to Cincinnati first. And um he thought we were in the pole position uh within MLS. And then nothing. Yeah. Nothing about him. Like even going to other other MLS teams, there was, you know, some European chatter on Twitter. Um, Our local journalists seemed completely uh, blindsided by the by the move or at least the timing of the move. I mean, not to not to throw anybody under the bus because. If you had asked me the morning of the morning the signing was announced, if you had asked me, like, what are the odds Miles Robinson comes to Cincinnati? I would have said, you know, we're in it, but like not too high. But I think Laurel had a mailbag come out that day and she pegged it at like 25 percent. And like 10 minutes later, <laughs> I think Tom Bogert was reporting it was a done deal. Yeah. Which yeah. no shade on Laurel, because if you no, would ask me not. that 25 percent no. might have been aggressive. I would have had it probably right. 10, 15 percent. I think the lesson here is don't publish articles like that's that's really what See, gets you in trouble. Many yeah, people saying the post is well ahead on this uh, this idea. Yes. <laughs> not so, to disparage the couple of really nice articles that community writers have written for us very much visit, appreciated we, but we can actually say this visit the post we have content that's crazy There's content up there baby i've got one calling for uh chris albright not to be fired but that he's on the hot seat for not signing players and that was out of date as of 48 hours well, later know, i heard um <laughs> i i saw some suggestion that uh that uh, uh, that article might have had something to do with the timing. You know, um, you know, I'm not I'm not sourcing that to anybody. I'm just saying that I saw some suggestion <laughs> that, that might reports. be the case. I think I was contributing to that suggestion. But yes, um, it's it's certainly out there. The speculation is out there. Look, we we uh, we speak truth to power here on uh, the postcast. The post has always stood uh, firmly on that position. So, yeah, we're, we're not afraid to call them out where we need to. And look, as of January 1st, Chris Albright had not signed a player that year, this year. And so it it needed to be said. So, yeah, it was batting batting over. For yeah. 2024, that's just not acceptable, and it's good that we corrected that almost immediately. Yeah. So, and Grayson, you could argue, you could argue, he's still over because he's one in, one out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> On like, balance, he, he doesn't get credit for the incredible incoming dollars for Brandon Vasquez. No. He's he, they cancel each other out. I like this. <laughs> so, so Grayson, you brought this up on the 
on the Discord that our, our private group chat that we have. Is this the biggest mm. signing in FC Cincinnati history? And I'm, I'm it seems counterintuitive until we really broke this down. And I thought about this a little bit. And the conclusion I came to on this is that, yeah, it kind of is because this was a signing and it's it's entirely for MLS roster stupidity and MLS salary stupidity. So um, Miles Robinson was a free agent because he'd accumulated enough service time. Because I think in MLS free agency, which has only existed for about a decade, I want to say something like that. Yeah. That MLS free agency is I think you have to have five years of service time in MLS and also be over a certain age. I think like 25, 24, something like that. Something and like so, that. They tweak the rules every couple of years, but generally so, that's it. But free agency doesn't line up neatly with also the rules for who can be a designated player in MLS when it comes to MLS free agents. Mm-hmm. So without going full roster nerd, the only team, is my understanding, and Grayson can correct me if I'm wrong on this, the only team that could offer a designated player contract to Miles Robinson was Atlanta United. There was no one else that could do that. Correct. Well, a, a true designated player contract, meaning one above Max, above above, Max Tam. Above Max Tam. Right. Because technically a designated player could be anyone making over the max salary budget charge. You can either buy that down with TAM or GAM, it turns out, based on a new rule change, it looks like, um, or make that yeah, player Yeah, we can dive into that player. in a second. But, but, but so the, the bottom line is, is that if Miles Robinson was staying in MLS, there was one team that could offer him more than a max TAM deal. That was the team he was leaving Atlanta. And if he's staying in MLS, every team is capped out at the exact same number as to what they can offer Miles Robinson. So for a U.S. men's national team center back of his talent, I'm sure there were numerous teams in MLS that were interested in offering him a Max Tam deal. It's not like FC Cincinnati could go sweeten the pot and say, oh, in order for us to sign, to get you to sign with us, we're willing to up the offer that you're receiving elsewhere by a million or a quarter million or half a million. Mm-hmm. They were capped out. They offered him the absolute most money they could. And this was a case where what brought the deal across the line wasn't simply outbidding other teams. It was being a better destination than other teams. To me, this contract is almost an announcement of where FC Cincinnati is in the MLS world. And this is almost like, to me, a full, the, the, the turnaround is now truly complete from where this organization's reputation was at the dregs of Jeff Birding called his own shot to be GM, and then Gerard Nijkamp had no idea how the roster rules worked, to now, this is a destination point for players. Matt Miazga wasn't like that. We got Matt Miazga because the allocation order still existed and we were holding on to and ransoming the top spot in the allocation order. Matt Miazga could not go anywhere else in MLS other than FC Cincinnati. This is Miles Robinson had options and he chose this club when he was the clear consensus best free agent in the league who could make the exact same money or possibly more money overseas, the exact same money everywhere else in MLS 
then he picked FC Cincinnati. And I think that's a huge, huge indicator of how this club is viewed in the soccer community, the American soccer community at large. Yeah. Grayson, let me ask you this. I know Atlanta offered him a deal. I don't think it was a DP deal, but are we correct to say that he turned down more money at Atlanta to come to Cincinnati? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Um, I believe the reporting on that is that Atlanta offered him uh, Max Tam. Okay. And his he actually was capped in free agency at a little below Max Tam. Gotcha. Um, because it's for, for a free agent in his salary bracket, it's a 12.5% uh, raise. Is what is what the maximum is. Gotcha. <clears throat> so um, Atlanta and it's only up until the I think day one or the day of round one of the reentry draft that the incumbent team has the ability to offer whatever salary they want. Mm. And so uh, but it sounds like Atlanta made the offer. Last summer. Yeah, like months or and earlier, months ago. like yeah. it was a long time ago. And I think Tom Bogert also reported that there hadn't been really further discussions between the teams after that. Um, I don't I'm not going to speculate because I think you can identify a number of reasons why. He may prefer not to stay in Atlanta, even for slightly less money. Um, there's the turf issue. Yeah. Um, the team is not. Really necessarily trending in the in the right direction um especially if they lose almada mm -hmm. this window and he's trying to get out yeah um by some reports miles robinson had opportunities to go to europe a couple of years ago and atlanta um either refused to sell him or set the set the demands too high so there's which put a pin in that item for later. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of uh reasons why why he may just have wanted to get out of Atlanta. Um yeah. but I agree with everything Chief said and I do think that's why this is the biggest signing period in FC Cincinnati history regardless of how it pans out. Like he mm. could get injured tomorrow and my opinion on this wouldn't change and it's because of the message that it sends. Because he was the, the most in-demand free agent uh, in MLS this year. And, you know, one of the biggest free agents in MLS's short free agency history. Yeah. Um, and FC Cincinnati was not able to outbid, under the rules, any other team in the league. Um, I guarantee you there were multiple teams that would, would have paid this this salary to Miles Robinson. And that means he came to this team for non-monetary reasons. Yeah. I can't think of a team that wouldn't take him. Like, unless you are, I guess, Miami, right? Yes, like, where you're, you're out of money. Like, right. Miami is And Miami <laughs> yeah. could use Miles Robinson. They're yes. a center back short. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I... I, I see the point. I, I think for the sake of one interesting 
podcasting. I'll disagree for this. I'll, I'll, I'll present the, the counter argument, although I think this argument is incredibly compelling and I, I will probably agree to it if you, if you quartered me on it, but I will, I will throw, throw something out there for Brenner in that it was a massive transfer fee for MLS, let alone FC Cincinnati. It was a clear, again, indication of intent that FCC was not going to be a cheap franchise. They were not going to be content to be a small market money ball team that they were willing to spend. They had, regardless of whether or not Nykamp was good at this, they had ownership willing to, to back this. And we think of uh, MLS getting a lot of talent from South America. In, in general, that's true, but it's almost exclusively, let's say, Spanish-speaking talent from South America. Brazil has been a tougher nut to crack. I'm going to say <laughs> pun intended there. Um, All out. And, and I mean, whether or not the uh, the athletic wants to dispute this, Brenner, uh, as well as Miles Robinson, had options overseas. Maybe Arsenal wasn't going to pay $13 million for him at the height of the pandemic, but FC Cincinnati was. Um, so I, I think that's probably the only other signing that you could even compare to this, though. I think that's that's the level we're, we're talking about. And yeah, the numbers aren't as big with Miles Robinson, but in the context of everything around this, the fact that he didn't even, as far as we know, didn't visit another team. And because of the cap of the salary, FCC was competing probably with European clubs that were probably offering similar amounts of money, maybe a little less, maybe a little more. Um, you think about like uh, Tim Ream was one I, I looked up earlier. Uh, they don't publish their salaries, but I think Tim Ream's making like $2 million a year at Fulham for a comp. So he probably would have been in that ballpark. So maybe he left a little bit of money on the table, but I don't think anybody too terribly high up in Europe was offering him a deal. He is coming off of an injury, um, but his ceiling is huge. So yeah. All right. I'll allow it. Biggest signing I, in FC Cincinnati history. <laughs> so not to derail this, but I almost think I, I get, I, I get what you're saying. And I agree with you about Brenner as like a statement of intent, mm -hmm. but there was nothing like specific to FC Cincinnati. Like he would have gone to any MLS team that put the money down and we just yeah put more money down than anybody else was willing to put down for him. Yes. Um, but nevertheless, I agree. It was a statement of intent. Um, I would put Bupenza above Brenner as far as a statement of intent. And here's why. Okay. Um, one, it's somebody who came in without really like a, realistic prospect of selling him on mm. so this is we are going to spend money to win now mm. and also it showed that ownership because a lot of teams have spent money on like one player right but i think when you move that guy out and then you immediately replace him with like another big money striker it shows one not just that you're seriously about you're serious about winning but also like we were not scared away from spending money by the experience with Brenner that's a good point yeah you know and it's just we are we are going to keep spending money to to get to and stay yeah 
at the top echelon of Major League Soccer. Yeah, and to continue the derailment that we did not want to derail, uh, if you throw the context in there, at least in terms of what we know, what was reported, I think Albright said this directly in quotes, uh, Obina, uh, Wobodo's, uh, pursuit by FC Cincinnati, they did not want to make him a DP. They continued to pursue him, continued to pursue him, eventually made him a DP, a sort of, um, you know, the idea that they've identified their target, they know that he is that good, and then was were willing to sort of retool the plan around what it took to get him. And that that resulted eventually in a supporter shield win, I think is a huge moment for FCC as well. Uh, and maybe more a defining moment of Chris Albright's early general managerial career that he was able to pivot like that and still put together two back-to-back very, very good seasons. Obviously, a supporter shield and sniffing the points record is pretty good. Um, yeah, no, these so are great. So Ob- Obina is an interesting name to bring up here because not for you know i agree you know that's a you know he was another player that was very similar to propenza where you were buying him and there was no idea that it was an investment brenner was a investment in a statement of interest wobado and propenza are players where we are buying them for the value they provide this team right this second we are not concerned about what the value they'll provide down the road it's Mm -hmm. not a sunk cost whereas brenner you were thinking at worst, we break even selling him back. It's just basically we're tying a little bit of money up to do this. These are actual costs where it's like we this was the cost of doing business to be good. The reason why Woboto is an interesting name to bring up here is that this coming season is Woboto's last year, theoretically, as a designated player. Because after this year, the transfer fee that they paid to get him, which I think was around $4 million U.S., mm-hmm which then had to be amortized over the first three years of his contract because he has option years after this. I think two option years, maybe. Maybe um, just one, but yeah. But either way, after this year, he becomes a TAM-eligible player where they can buy him down to open another DP spot. That's interesting because of how Miles Robinson's contract is constructed. This is a unique type of deal for MLS players. The average MLS deal is usually a two to a three year deal. You want players under club control when you're signing them as a free agent. Miles Robinson's deal is a one year deal with an option. And the reporting, the latest reporting I've seen is that it's a mutual option, player and team, which means that really bo- both <laughs> of them need to agree to extend the contract another year. And that either Where'd side- you see that? Um, it was on Extra Time. I reported that. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, wow. So they were listing it as a mutual option. The first reporting I saw was a team option, uh, but a mutual option makes that very interesting. Um, but this is a contract where it is set up to have Miles Robinson potentially re-sign with FC Cincinnati this offseason as a designated player. Or yeah. if he has a good year move himself over to Europe. He's it's a bet on yourself type deal. And it does make me wonder a little bit if part of the selling point with FC Cincinnati was that there's an agreement that, you know, we'll be willing to make you a DP next year. Come here now. You can't make any more money elsewhere. 
We're going to have a DP spot opened up. Maybe that's a plan. I have no idea. But like Wobodo, Wobodo gives them more flexibility next year because he will continue to provide the same level of value, that DP value, but he's going off the books as a DP potentially next year. Yeah, I mean, he, he would need a, not just a salary increase, like a 50% or more salary increase to become a designated player after <coughs> after this year because um, your transfer fee only applies through the guaranteed term of your contract. So um, no matter what they do with him, he's going to be a designated player at 24 and potentially does not need to be in 25. And that opens up a spot for, you know, Miles Robinson. What's, if that's how they want to use it. Yeah. What's Obi's salary at right now? It's, I want to say it's like 1.2. Okay. And I think the TAM threshold or the max budget charge threshold, I think goes up to 1.7, 1. 1.8 in 2025. I think it goes over 1.7. Okay. In 2025, it's one. It's like 1.68. Um, so, Grayson, let me bounce a really dumb idea off of you. Presumably, with the sale of Vasquez and the eventual sale of Barrial, FCC will have about $2 million in GAM to play with. Could they pay 100% of OB's salary in GAM? His only budget charge is the transfer fee. Thus freeing up a DP spot this year. Um, no. Damn. <laughs> because you would still need to... So for... I, th I think that the same limits apply with, with GAM as TAM. Uh, so you can't buy down a player who's above that maximum TAM amount. Although they did... Um, they have basically converged how GAM and TAM are used... Okay. Which makes sense because they've been increasing the GAM available to teams every year and reducing the TAM. Mm -hmm. So if you did that without allowing teams to use GAM to buy down DPs, you would make it very, very hard oh, yeah. for teams to keep those high TAM players. Or you, make it, you make it impossible for teams to have multiple high TAM players on their roster. And so like what Chief alluded to earlier with like a relatively recent i think starting in 2023 change in the roster rules is you could use gam to buy down um a player's contract who is at a dp level but not above max tam that's that 1.68 um salary and transfer fee mm -hmm. number uh annualized so you could use this year say the gam you get from selling um, Brandon Vasquez or Alvaro Barrial to buy down Miles Robinson's contract. Right. Well, what's interesting too is you cannot you not only can buy down the contract in terms of bring him down to a max budget charge, unless I'm mistaken, you can use gam as well to buy them down below the max budget charge down to like I think there's a bottom threshold of like 200,000 but it's without super nerding out on the salary there's two issues at play for FC Cincinnati one is that the the amount of gam or you know tricky don fun bucks that they have 
in order to buy down these players that are above the max budget charge. But every player above the max budget charge is still hitting, even when you buy them down, is still hitting your salary cap at that max budget charge of like 600 some odd thousand. And there is still a hard cap in this league of yeah. what, like 5 million, something like that. Yeah. It's that, like, like comically it's 5. low 5 or something, given so, how much money is actually being thrown around. Yeah. So because FC Cincinnati has three designated players on its roster and because they replaced Brenner, who was a young designated player, a young designated player only hits your salary cap, but I think like 200,000, 300,000, something like that. If they're a YDP. Mm-hmm. 150 or two, depending on how old they are. Right. Now they're instead of having that 150 hit like they had with Brenner, now they're taking a full 600 some odd thousand hit by having Aaron Bupenza on the roster. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of this gam that they're getting in, it's not just to buy down players that are max TAM players to buy that down. They're also going to have to use some of this gam to buy down the budget charge on some sub um, max TAM players just to get under that uh, that hard cap of 5.5 million or whatever it is in order to justify because they've got a lot of players on this team now that are hitting at max budget charge um i'm presuming that uh kubo is probably hitting at max budget charge that all three dps are hitting at max budget charge miazga's hitting at max budget charge miles robinson's hitting at max budget charge um trying to think who else is probably up there well we know sergio santos is hitting at max budget charge yep which is all the more reason that that contract needs to go. I understand that's a tough one, but like that's they the money is the money is complicated for FC Cincinnati. The, that the Miles Robinson deal makes it a little more complicated, but there's no disputing they had to get that quality of replacement in to replace Yerson Mascara. And Robinson is just a perfect fit for what they want to do defensively. It's a rare perfect mesh. Because you talked about the reasons Miles Robinson would want to come here. I'm sure he watched what this back line looked like last year. And if you're trying to make your case to remain a part of the men's national team roster to go to Copa America this summer and remain in consideration in winter place for the World Cup coming up in a couple of years, there's a lot worse ways you can make yourself look good than playing alongside Matt Miazga and with Obina Wobodo in front of you being a ball hawk and protecting you from getting exposed. So it's a really good setup for a player like him to thrive. And what he does well is exactly what this team needs to do well. Yeah. So um, to kind of put a cap on budget talk, maybe, <laughs> I think we talked a few episodes about how getting those gam infusions doesn't help you carry like. Sergio Santos on a multi-year contract because you need that gam every year. Um, it does, though, help you carry a Miles Robinson on a one-year contract, right? Mm-hmm. And then having more flexibility next year. Um, and then, you know, Bupenza may not need a DP slot for his option year, which is 2026, because uh, his salary is below Max Tam, and comfortably so. Nice. Um but uh, you know, as Miles Robinson as a player, um, you know, I think he gives us he gives us options to sometimes, and a lot of people have hit on this. You know, to sometimes play that 
four person back line with more defensive outside backs. Mm-hmm. But I also think that Miles Robinson is a perfect fit for the defensive system that we had last year because yeah. he's he's big, he's good at winning those balls in the air. Um he's fast, so he can kill counterattacks um and chase guys down when you know playing that aggressive back line you know a ball squeaks through um he's he was picked by uh, he was voted by MLS players just a couple days ago as the best one-on-one defender in the league which is Love important that. because that was Yerson Mascara's role last year was he was the guy yeah. where it's like the athlete that chases when he was never out of position so that's speed replacing that role in the back line was huge. And it's why they had to. Miles Robinson was almost a must sign for this club. And, you know, is he the best? Is he the best uh, ball playing center back? No, but we don't really ask our center backs to necessarily do a lot of that. Yeah. What he can do is he can play a long pass. Yes. Um, which we do ask our center backs to do. Yes. Yes, um, be so tall, like, be an aerial threat, and bomb it long. So for me, the Miles Robinson signing doesn't... It does not indicate to me that we're suddenly moving to, you know, a four-man back line. And the fact is, they still brought in Kip Keller. Mm-hmm. Um, you still have Ian Murphy and Nick Hagland. I think all three of those guys are well-suited to slot into the way that we played center backs last year. Yeah, and... correct me. Correct me if I'm wrong. Moving to a four man backline, it's not exactly a one for one skill set between the types right. of players we're signing, and it's not. It's a lot more. It's it, there's more to it than just we're playing another person alongside everyone. The skill set that you're looking for in a center back playing in a three man backline is a little different than the skill sets you're looking for playing in a four man backline where it's really two guys that stay central for the most part and two players that are out on and defending the wings. And you're really looking for kind of a different type of player. That's in those four-man back lines, you really start to get concerned about what foot a player is dominant with. And it becomes a little more imperative that you're matching up footedness, the side of the field you're playing on. Speed becomes a little bit of a different concern. So it's, it's, it's not as, I don't think it's, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm a, tactical novice compared to most people that follow this sport but it's not as simple as just saying well we're gonna throw kip keller out there too alongside ian murphy matt miazga and miles robinson and that's gonna be our four-man back line it's there's a little more thought than that no it wouldn't be four center backs right it i think people are thinking that you can play miles robinson and matt miazga together as your only two center backs and yeah you can you can definitely do that and miles uh even though he's uh, right-footed, he has a lot of experience playing on the left side of a center-back pairing because he's done that next to Walker Zimmerman. He's done that next to Matt Miazga. I'm sure he's done it next to... I think he's done it next to Cameron Carter-Vickers. Um, I mean, I'm he, sure he's done it next to plenty of... I'm sure he's got a lot of experience playing that position. Yeah. And I think that, like, kind of noting that we may have that tactical flexibility is good. And I think the ability to play different formations is good. But, you know, after seeing what we did last year with the three center backs and the two wing backs and how we know Lucho likes to play 
and having, you know, Obi next to Moreno or a Moreno type. Like, I'm not in a hurry to change that up that much. And I look at Miles Robinson as somebody who can come in and, you know, give you what Mascara gave. And if he is at, you know, the top of what he's shown in his career, uh, it would be even better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the theory of the signing, right? Is that Miles Robinson, Rob- people talked about like Robinson struggling last year with Atlanta. Atlanta's but midfield was trash. Like it's not. It's that's the whole that's, defense was terrible. Yeah, that's Atlanta that's, was it's a, just. It's not a well coached defensive team. They don't prioritize defensive midfield play. It's all gas, no breaks in Atlanta. It has been for a number of years. They left their back line exposed a lot. And then you think about like what you're asking somebody to do. And I think we would not ask Miles Robinson to do anything that he does not excel at right right and he's he's playing next to matt miazga and he's playing behind obina wobodo right like atlanta didn't have obina wobodo <laughs> right right they're probably you know? i still think they're gonna sign uh junior moreno to try to play that role for them yeah that's that's kind of where i wanted to go next is like the actual makeup of the back line because yeah in a three-man back line or a, a back five as it were with wing backs or three center back pairing the outside center backs typically need to be faster because they need to be kind of sort of doing the role of the full back it's also more important that the communication is tight with your center backs and a three-man back line because they need to maintain that offside line and we've seen plenty of goals where that gets exposed right so you want a clear communicator in goal and typically the central center back is the sort of captain of that but there's different ways to deploy that so there's like the old school way of playing a halfback in the center back central center back role where maybe you put Miles Robinson there and you give him the freedom to run into the midfield and push up higher and all of a sudden Obi is joining the attack more which by the way in his career he's been a more forward player in different parts of Europe. Uh that would be one way of doing it. Robinson is as Grayson said has weirdly been consistently on the left side of center back pairings despite being right footed. So he fits in well there. So you can see a center back trio of Robinson on the left, Miazga in the middle, Hagland on the right. We've seen Hagland typically be on the right. Or if you do want to play into the footedness, you'd move Robinson to the right side, keep Miazga in the middle, put Murphy on the left side. So you have some flexibility there in terms of who you're plugging in where. Um, I don't have Keller's footedness uh i think he's, he's right, right, he's right footed. footed it's a fun he's word right footed. Foot, footedness, footedness. <laughs> footedness. <laughs> uh but yeah keller to me always felt like the a sort of Hagland one for one if we were to you know put a lot of hopes and dreams in keller's development which hey i am um so that's how i see that breaking out and yeah i think it's important to have that Tactical flexibility. We saw it at the end of games, especially down the stretch last year, where FCC would sub out defenders for attackers, but they they needed the pieces back there. They just needed the the bodies and the back line to 
to maintain the defense. I think if you have the option of having a trio of Robinson, Miazga, and Murphy, and late in a game you're trailing or it's tied, you could pull off Murphy and add another midfielder or add a a Dombaji-esque player uh, late in a game to help chase. I think that, that adds quite a bit to this team and maybe gives them another gear that they didn't have last year, as well as, sh- sure, just the straight-up flexibility to adjust to an opponent or exploit some weakness that we see, whatever the case may be. This is a, an amazing sign. Um, Grayson, let me ask you this. Mosquera versus Robinson. I think it's fair to say Mosquera has a much higher ceiling, even for the most optimistic Miles Robinson fans. But as of January 2024, Robinson a better center back than Mosquera? I I think so. Um, I think you could be forgiven from looking for looking at the two of them last season and thinking Mascara was better in MLS. Mm -hmm. Um, I just think there was a lot more asked of Robinson and Mascara was in kind of the perfect position to succeed most of the season, given, you know, everything about our team. Yeah, Yeah. I'd agree. I'd rather, if it's right now, we're going to CONCACAF Champions Cup. Who do you want? I think I want Miles Robinson, like taking apart the idea of, you know, how long they've been with the team. If it's just a straight guy off guy versus guy, I think I'd want Robinson long term. Probably Yerson. I mean, he's Premier League talent. They're going to be allegedly by the time this podcast drops, we'll probably know there's talk. They're going to play him in their uh, in their FA Cup game this coming weekend. So. So the uh, the other thing about Miles is. You know, with him being such a more veteran player, um, he I he I expect him to have more developed like leadership sensibilities than Yerson. Mm-hmm. So in games where like Miazga is not available, like early in the MLS season potentially, or throughout the MLS season as he <laughs> his mouth gets the better of his brain, um, I think that I think that Miles is better positioned. To step to step in and captain the back line, than uh, Yerson probably was. Which uh, brings yeah. a, which brings an important point up. Has anyone scouted Miles Robinson's ability to shit house and fake like he's been hit in the head in the attempt to draw a red card? Where is he on that? Because Yerson was elite. S <laughs> here, no notes. I worry, I don't remember if this was official or if they were still exploring it. Is is MLS officially trialing the new time-wasting rules of a player injured is an immediate removal from the field for a minute? I forget if we're I doing I think they that. are. They're definitely if, doing the, if you don't sub off within 60 seconds, yeah, you get it, like a card or there's something, off, there's something weird about that. Or the player that is subbing on is held or something like that. Yeah, MLS Next Pro did a thing where if a player goes down for any reason, they need to then stay off of the field for like two minutes before they're allowed back on. And in doing that, they cut down the number of instances of players going down with injury by like 80%. Like it was pretty, it was a pretty noticeable. I would go ankle hunting constantly late (laughs) in games. Like we're about to get the like six minutes of stoppage time. At least two of these are 
are going to be uh, nine on eleven because we're going straight. <laughs> we're going. They're like the ATAT walkers in the Empire Strikes Back. Go for the legs. It's the only way of stopping them. <laughs> I guess. Well, my, my point is, I, I don't want mascara if these are the rules. So. <laughs> I guess I assume that Miles is, you know, plenty physical, but I've never thought about him as, you know, a, a, a rough player or a shithouser. Um, but that's just kind of the vibes. Although I'm looking at his transfer market page. And he only had two yellow cards all of the last season. Well, that won't do on this in team. In 27 games. Yeah, those are and rookie in, numbers. <laughs> and then in 2021, he had one yellow card in 26 games. Um, for any I'm other here, team. I'm here, I'm here incidentally for the, the off-season buddy cop feature of Matt Miazga <laughs> trying to train him on how we do business in Cincinnati that's a little different. And it is just the scene of Gordon Bombay doing the take the <laughs> take the fall act hurt get indignant for any other center back on any other team those card statistics there are incredible to have a reputation of being that good of a center back to be called up to the national team with only what less than five yellow cards you're saying over the course of two seasons that's insane that is like you know beckenbauer ask like incredible has- control he has tw- he has no straight reds in his career. That's he has, incredible. He has two double yellows, but one of them was in USL in 2018. <laughs> Been a while. He he has 20 yellow cards this is in his career. Matt so had 20 last season. Yeah, that's a that's a good in, that's in like a fun year for games. Lucho right there. That's just Lucho <laughs> fucking around for a year. It's 20 yellows. <laughs> My point is, we need to get we need to to put a little little rough edge on this although, guy. <laughs> although you say you say those are really good numbers, that's also Matt Miazga's numbers. If you limit his yellow cards to just things that happen during open play, <laughs> right. that's a good point. Like. That would be Matt Miazga if my man could shut the fuck up every so often. <laughs> man, he even, yeah, he's, he's got a number of them that on MLS's website, they don't even say what it's for. They just, they ran out of things. What, that's what, like we, we had this kid when I was in high school that we were all friends with where he said a lot of stupid stuff and we eventually put him on the filter system where you aren't allowed to talk unless you whisper what you're about to say to somebody else and they give you a thumbs up on it. We need to put Miazga on the filter system next year. <laughs> now that we've got another fellow United States countryman, if he wants to go talk to the ref, the official thing for Miazga now has to be, you need to go call talk to Miles. And if Miles says this is a good idea, you're allowed to go say it to the ref. <laughs> I like this idea. Uh, well, let me, let me throw this idea out to him. This is equally as serious and not serious. Matt Miazga, getting national team looks last year was the defender of the year in MLS. Roman Celentano has gotten call-ups to the U.S. Men's National Team. Miles Robinson was probably going to be a starter, if not the third center back on the World Cup team, had he not been injured. Ian Murphy making incredible strides. Huge progress. We've seen this coaching staff turn players uh, into diamonds and, and moving them on into amazing, amazing players. Are you buttering us up to tell us to be prepared for the entire back line and Roman to be gone for majority of the games this summer? Yes, I'm saying prepare yourselves for a U.S. men's national team defense entirely consisting of FC Cincinnati players. Grayson, did you hear that just now? (laughs) 
Yeah. It was very faint. It was very faint. I think it moved for Kevin thinking about Kip <laughs> Keller getting those starting minutes. Are you kidding me? He's also getting the call up. <laughs> he he wins the job over Murphy and makes the national team. Come on. Um, no, actually, I think that that disturbance you heard in the forest was the entire U.S. men's national team online fan base committing suicide at the same yeah, time. Yeah, so I guess we should get into that. But but first, I would like to mention that we're recording this on the night of Thursday, January 4th. Um, Grayson has other plans on the 6th, which would be our usual recording day. It's a day of observation in the morning seven. for him. Oh, yeah. The <laughs> yeah, I'm going. Um, I'm meeting a group of guys, a group of like minded guys. Uh, so. Um, by I think reports I saw, they expect the. Uh, uh January camp roster to drop uh tomorrow Friday. Oh, so that's by the annoying. time people are listening to this, that roster will be out. Um we may see three guys and one departing guy on that on that roster. Yeah. The January camp does tend to be the, let's not call it the A-team. Historically, it was called Camp Cupcake uh, because it was, one, not a terribly difficult opponent usually that they could pull. I believe it's outside an official FIFA window, uh, but it's when MLS is out of uh out of season obviously and so a lot of guys are available for these call-ups most of these guys don't want to turn this down this is where you get things like eric alexander i think has one cap for the u.s men's national team this is where you get those weird those weird anomaly uh caps so yeah i wouldn't be surprised if if miles and miazga and brandon and maybe potentially celentano uh gets a call up come Uh, on citizenship for lucha Acosta, let's do this. Outside of FIFA window, he got his citizenship. I think they can call him up because it won't be an official friendly. I don't know if there's a rule about him representing the U.S. Call him up if he's not eligible. I know there are sanctions even in like friendlies, but damn, just go on the MLS preseason theory and don't film anything you're training. I was gonna say, just have them practice. Yeah, whatever. Just can't, no cameras allowed. It's cameras off practice. He was I in mean, LA at the same time. We needed to make numbers. We only have, I think, three players on the roster who don't have at least green cards. <laughs> we could. I think that's just Angulo, Bupenza, and Obi. Which Obi feels like he should be able to get a green card on a DP deal. Isn't oh, I think you- so too. I expect Bupenza also mm-hmm. to get a green card just because it seems like DPs get them faster. Yeah. Permanence. Um, what's that? It's the permanence thing. It's the DPs right. yeah, are usually yeah, yeah. have longer term deals and that's it's easier to get a green card if you have a longer potential for staying in the United States. Yeah, so um um I made that up, but it sounds convincing. Wait, are you saying the richer you are, the yeah. easier it is to move through the legal system? Hang on. I'm just saying that sometimes sometimes the levers of power require a little grease, and grease ain't free. Yeah, so my my, my point, I guess, uh, is, no, Barrial got a green card, right? He did. Right. Yeah. So why don't we just Fat send... a lot of good F- that's going to do him. 
Why don't we just send FC Cincinnati like D2 as the U.S. men's national team? <laughs> so who's, who's the Charlie Conway that would be, we're not, these aren't our jerseys, we're Gary's. <laughs> That'd be a show. Oh, Hagelin's a good one. <laughs> Guys, it's not this who we are. Us. This is not who we are. It's like, and uh, strangely, they're revealing jerseys that have corporate sponsorship on them, as opposed to <laughs> taking the jerseys with the corporate sponsorship off. Oh, man. I like it's, it. Uh, it's good signing. Happy about this. We'll worry. Look, this whole thing about having the entire back line called up that's that's future me's problem. That's not current me's <laughs> yep. problem. We'll 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 worry about that when we worry about that. Yeah. To put a bow on this conversation, I do want to say though that uh, you know, got a lot of love from a lot of circles around the um, MLS <laughs> intelligentsia. I want to point out one particular tweet uh, from your good friend Kevin Taylor Twelman. Love that guy. Uh, retweeting FC Cincinnati's announcement. Huge get by Albright and company one year with an option leads me to believe that they may sign him as a DP when the deal is done. And that was the deciding factor, along with no more home games on turf. What a signing by FC Cincinnati. I bring it up for one reason, and that's that Taylor Twelman rarely speculates. He (laughs) just tweets things that people tell him and then says, I think, or could be. And that's just his way of inartfully getting out what he's been told. So I would absolutely uh, confirm and suspect that the natural grass playing surface at TQL Stadium, the training facility at FC Cincinnati, and that there's already been conversations about him potentially being a DP for this club. Yeah, Yeah. and I would add to that um, on Extra Time Radio this afternoon. Uh, Matt Doyle said that um, he'd been talking to agents around the league and that the consensus is that um, FC Cincinnati as an organization, the coaches, the front office, you know, the management group, um, agents trust them to do right by players. Damn. Um, And a reputation like that, I think, can't be bought. You know, it. It can only be earned. And Doyle did uh, call Miles Robinson the biggest free agent signing in league history. Yeah. Yeah. I, I believe it. I uh, I was inspired by, oh my God, it's going to kill me. One of the Weigel twins, I want to say it was Brian, who tweeted this out about how this was a huge free agent signing that we just don't see that in Cincinnati sports. Uh, it, it prompted a furious debate between me and whoever else I could bother with this question was, is Miles Robinson the biggest free agent signing in Cincinnati sports history? And I think the answer is yes. It's not on, a very a, long on, on, career on, <laughs> or a long... Technica- on a technicality because the overwhelming majority of the major ads that the Reds have made have been via trade. That is true. So the otherwise, old, this is a runaway Ken Griffey Jr. answer. But they traded Mike Cameron to the to the Mariners to get him. Yes, um, Chu and Brandon Phillips were also trades. I thought they were free agents. I thought for sure Chu was. So um, was Trevor Bauer, who also yes. back in the news this week. Um, yes, um, I think it's Coco Cordero was coming off of an All Star year, signed as a free agent to the Reds. And then made the All-Stars like two years later with the Reds. So Cassianos he might... recently would be up there. 
Cassianos would be a good pick. And then for Ryan the Bengals. Madsen was a pretty big free agent signing. That's a good one. Was uh, was Leto- Latos was a trade. Latos was a trade. Yeah, they Latos traded Yonder Alonso to get him. Or, yeah. Yeah, Yonder Alonso to get him, I think. Alfredo uh, Simon? I don't remember. No, 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 Simon was a trade. Simon, no, they I'm traded. Oh, they traded. Yeah, he wasn't. Yeah, they traded him to Baltimore, or traded Baltimore to get him. Yeah, yeah. They traded Baltimore to get him. He ended up in Detroit. He ended up in Detroit, and then he. It turned into um, Luis Castillo. I think is who Alfredo Simon turned into. Yeah, Yeah. that's what it was. Yeah, because all the Reds' big moves have always been trades. The Bengals rarely pay big money to free agents. I mean, I think so. Terrell Owens. In terms of name and name alone, name. that's the biggest free agent signing. Yeah, it, it wasn't very good with the Bengals, but it was, was pretty, fun. He was thousand yard receiver, if I remember yeah, he correctly. Was, he was fine. He was pretty. He was all right. You know, Damn. it's funny. All right, so I'm Bengals, misremembering that so season. This is this is a good tee up right here for the Bengals. So I am of an age, and I think that everybody knows I'm probably I'm the oldest one on this podcast at this point. Sorry, if you don't, now you know. Um, <laughs> I'm of an age to remember when the aforementioned Cincinnati Bengals decided they were going to bring in a potential free agent target into town who was playing at the time for the Baltimore Ravens, I believe, or it might have been before he went to the Ravens, a man by the name of Tony Saragusa, rest in peace, who was an absolutely massive human being, a run-stuffing defensive tackle every bit of 300, 350 pounds. And to bring him into Cincinnati for his free agent recruiting visit, the team mailed him a coach or economy ticket on (laughs) Delta into CBG. A massive talent, giant football player. And they were like, well, we we got you an aisle seat, not a first class (laughs) ticket, just your basic economy ticket. I bring it up for this reason. And that if this isn't the biggest free agent signing in Cincinnati sports history, goddamn did the production of this signing look like the biggest signing in Cincinnati sports history. They put out one of the best pieces of content the video team for FC Cincinnati has ever put out with the private jet rolling down the runway at Lunkin, tastefully blurring out the uh, the tail numbers. We can't figure out whose private jet it is. Whatever. I'm sure there's MLS rules being skirted on who's paying for this. We'll never know. We'll never know. (laughs) If only we knew someone with a private jet on standby at Lunkin. Who knew? Could Um, be anyone. (laughs) Miles Robinson coming down the private jet off the staircase because classy people disembark the plane on the runway. Classy people don't use the jetway. So what I've learned from virtually every Instagram influencer I've seen. And as he comes down off the plane, he is greeted by no less then Chris Albright and Mr. Carl Linder III himself dapping up our free agent acquisition or target at this point. He is whisked off to TQL Stadium where he views his name in lights. He's taken down on the pitch and views his name in the scoreboard. Everything about, th- about this felt like something you would see for a massive star coming in to I don't even think the Reds would put this kind of treatment out for a free agent. Like, this felt super big time in the way they portrayed this. And it was cool as shit. That's awesome to see Carl out there 
immediately taking a, a role. I'm like, hi, I'm the money. I'll be signing the checks. We should get to know one another with what the number that you're going to be making is. It was awesome to see. This is also a good, there's a good lesson to be learned in this video, which is uh, twice now we've had, uh, I'll say, citizen journalists identify that the stadium was was showing a free agent's name. If you watch this video, Robinson's across the street watching this. Folks, if you see the stadium lit up, please try to get down there and see who is standing there. <laughs> yeah, go over to the other side. Here's where you need to go. You go over to the pitch. It's very obvious that's where he was standing watching this. Yes. Go buy yourself a beer and just sort of linger and see who shows up. <laughs> Maybe go up to the, the upper level balcony. If they've got it closed off, just say that you're with Oh, I, I got to run something up to Mr. Albright. That always works. Yep. Carry a folder. If you're carrying a folder, no one ever stops you with anything. And just do a little intel for us, please. Yeah, yeah. Just just a note. Just a if note. If you're really ambitious, just get a lanyard and print out like a piece of cardstock or something that just says FC Cincinnati with the team colors on it. And then your photo right <laughs> even there. Like put, even like put your picture on it and just... <laughs> Just kind of have that in your back pocket to yeah to yeah, go buy go to buy a, use a nice necessary a nice polo at the team store never, <laughs> just a nice polo yes a nice polo yeah. and a lanyard will get you by so many questions in life we need to get like some gum shoes out there yeah you know if you want to be a post gum shoe uh, don't even got to declare yourself just go start doing it. Right. And don't us, declare yourself because we don't want to have to disavow stuff. when you're arrested. Correct. Do not identify <laughs> <This> is, yourself. <laughs> this is one of those like uh, Ken Klippenstein for the intercept like things where he's like, if you work for the Department of Defense, right. this is my signal number. Yeah. Can we, yes. get, a sig can we get a signal number in the uh, in the posts bio? Yes. For free agents and transfer rumors, please anonymously allow us to. Because you uh, caught a journalist this week, Kevin. We may as well lean into that's it. True. Here. That's true. I've been true. shameful I, I, behavior uh, from from somebody it, it, from anybody who might want to be known as a respected journalist. That's right. true. I can say this, and this is actually true for a change. Many people are saying <laughs> that you, Kevin Wallace, are a journalist. It's true. You're just Some, a journalist. You have a journalism degree. I not yeah journalism. I mean, it's one thing to get into the field; it's another thing to have a a degree in the field that you're in. Something I rarely get to have. And then uh, somebody else said, uh, I think two people said that I work for the Post Cincy. So this is probably a bad time to tell you guys. But I've been collecting a salary this whole time. I <laughs> have not been paying you two. <laughs> Unfortunately, no, we're, it's just all, been we're in, exempt. It's been an empanadas <laughs> box gift cards. <laughs> it's um, largely in fried pastries. <laughs> so, you know, something something that we've, we've talked about from the USL years is the team has always treated itself like it's, you know, quote unquote, major league. Yes. And um, it was just nice to see that video yes. because it's just another example of like, we don't care that, you know, this is the third team in Cincinnati and MLS is, you know, a fifth tier league mm -hmm. in the U.S. Um, we're here to win and uh, we respect our players as professionals and if we want somebody, we're going to 
we're gonna you know show them how we do it but that all take them to rubies all that it all feeds into it though it's like they say on extra time that this is a an organization that does right by its players and this was a organizational reputation affirming signing it all goes into that it's the owner meeting new players down on the private jetway and showing them their name in lights and treating this like a big time college recruiting visit. This is how professional sports teams operate. When you go overseas, they give you all the pomp and circumstance on free agent visits. I've seen, I've seen the videos of what it's like when you visit Stamford bridge or you go over to the premier league and they show you, you know, where your locker is and they do all this stuff. It's like, yeah, you don't have to wait until you're, big time to act like you're big time and if you're competing with people that are have big time offers elsewhere you better at least be acting and looking the part so this was everything about this if you this is a for as bad as last season ended this is a perfect sort of turn the page moment for on to 2024 this is like a hell yeah for yeah for the team and it's funny that it's bookended as well by the other big move this week, which was the uh, announcement by Tom Bogert that FC Cincinnati has agreed to terms and Brandon Vasquez has agreed to terms for a sale to Monterey. Because in a different sort of way, that's also a, a big time move for this club. Yeah. Not just from a dollar's point of view, the, the amount of money that they're talking about with Brandon Vasquez, $8.5 million potential upside for this deal plus i think a 10 sell on a 10 percent sell on for anything that happens with his deal in monterey um the word i've heard is and you can take this or leave this is that the deal vasquez signed at monterey is going to pay him double what he was making in mls damn which is a nice upgrade for what he's for what his financial situation is and at the end of the day, it's like, okay, so we talked about how Miles Robinson won, had options in Europe and Atlanta wasn't willing to sell or had placed too high of a price tag on him that made it prohibitive for him to go to Europe. It's important in this moment to remember that no matter what else you think about what's going on with Brandon Vasquez's deal, that this club, when Brandon said he wanted to go, it's not, we have you on a deal. We're going to wait for you to rebound your value because we think we can make more money off you. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not setting an artificially too high of a price tag that can't be met. They did right by Brandon Vasquez here. He wanted to go. He wanted to go make more money. He wanted to challenge himself in a bigger league at a bigger club. They facilitated that deal happening. And that's part of being a club that agents and professionals respect is that you do right by the players you sign. And when you say something and you make a promise to a player that we will do what we can to facilitate your ambitions beyond this club, you put your money where your mouth is on that. That's not to say Fancy Cincinnati wasn't well compensated for this deal, and they didn't turn a windfall profit off an initial investment of $150,000 in TAM. <laughs> not even real money. TAM. Um, Back when you could trade TAM. Right. <laughs> like, they didn't pay... Car, the, the ownership group didn't pay a dime for Brandon Vasquez. <laughs> Target allocation money is team it com- funded. It comes out of the owner's pocket. MLS rules are fun. <laughs> Whatever. Bottom line. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It's all fake anyway. Um, 
they did right by Brandon Vasquez here. And that's cool. And the only take that FC Cincinnati fans should have about this is positive, congratulatory to Brandon for getting the bag and wish him well in all his future endeavors. And if I hear one dumb motherfucker boo him, if he comes back to TQL Stadium playing for Monterey, oh. I'm going to I'm going to choose violence and I will be escorted out of the first financial club within the first couple of games that I'm sitting there. Um, so with with Brandon, you know, they could have he could have gone last winter somewhere. Yeah. Um, but instead, he he accepted a um, new contract. Uh, accepted that the team was then going to you know hold out for a decent offer for him and he accepted that he was going to have to wait two windows um while they try to win a trophy this past year and they did they won the supporter show up front about that from everything that i've seen reported yeah and you know this is just the other end of that bargain that he waited patiently for two windows he came out played every game uh, scored a lot of important goals, uh, was a very important player throughout the season. And, uh, you know, now he gets to feed his family. Yeah. He's got a new baby. His baby was starving. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of, a lot of formula that's going to, that's going to buy. It, uh, the salary increase, I think is interesting to know. Yeah. Last Last year, two years ago, wow, it's 2024. Two years ago, he's making somewhere in the neighborhood of $300,000. Less than a year and a half ago. Well, yeah. Yeah. He signed the new contract in late 22. Right, right. So he goes from making 300000 to last year making somewhere around 900000 which again, three extra salary in one year. Any civilian out there doing that, you're doing something right. And then he goes and doubles that in Monterey. He's going to be making, you know, pushing $2 million a year. That's incredible. Um, and I, I, one thing I, I've seen people talk about this, and it's something that I want to, to harp on for a second, which is that, like, He's moving sideways in his sideways in his career, or FC Cincinnati is selling their best player to a team that is a rival, a rival or equal footing. Something that someone that they could face in competition in two different tournaments: League's Cup and Concacaf Champions Cup. That is true. He could see a lot of TQL Stadium next year, regardless. Um, Odds are low that we would see them in CCC. Just because right. the way the bracket is set uh, up. No, yeah. odds are extremely high we would see them in Champions League. Oh, not see, I because mean, League's, League's Cup. <laughs> League's I'm sorry, Cup. yeah. Uh, see, yeah, I'm sorry, backwards. Yeah, no, <laughs> if we don't see them in League's Cup, something's gone horribly yeah. wrong. No, <laughs> Somebody see them in Champions League, yeah, something's yeah, yeah. gone wrong. Yes. Uh, let's, League's let's Cup, reset. Yeah. Yes. We are going to play them in Champions League if we win our first round uh, series. No, we're not. We're going to play them in Champions Cup. We call it Champions League on this podcast. <laughs> Grace has been very adamant about this point. Champions um, League, as opposed to the League's Cup, which there is no bracket. And as given, opposed to Campione's Cup, which, which is a whole other thing. We will also not face them in, but could the following year, fingers crossed, 
for some reason is a thing that still exists. Uh, anyway, I yeah. want to say Monterey is a huge club. It's hard to overstate how massive of a club Monterey is. To learn is. more about how big of a club they are, go back and listen to our League's Cup preview from this yes, past summer. You should. It was really fun, actually. And you might learn one thing about every League MX team. But Monterey is massive. It's a very large city. It's a very, very, very well-funded team. They are a very successful team. They are the favorites to win any and all competitions they find themselves in. In Latin America, generally, you have to start picking the biggest clubs in Brazil and Argentina to find clubs larger than them. Chivas and America are always going to be the two biggest clubs in Mexico. Monterey is probably number three right there. They're certainly in the giants of Mexico. They play in a massive stadium. By all means, Google image search Monterey Soccer Stadium, and it is a sight to behold. The stadium is incredibly modern, and it has some of the best scenic views you could possibly imagine from a stadium. Uh, there's a reason why that stadium is going to be hosting a couple of World Cup matches in 2026 and not other stadiums in Mexico. It's amazing. Brandon Vasquez, let's not forget, is Mexican-American. He grew up most of his childhood playing in a Mexican Soccer Academy in Tijuana, in Tijuana's Academy. He drove every day across the border to and, train. And something important about that that I, I, I read yesterday, and mm. somebody fact-checked me on this if this isn't true, because I was reading it on a Google Translate. Liga MX has a similar roster mechanic to MLS in that there is, they've, there's a homegrown roster provision. And because he started playing in Tijuana, Vasquez has extra value to a Liga MX team yes. in terms of how their roster rules work and how he slots in on salary. I don't know the yep. exact ramifications of it because like Google Translate, not great on the finer details, but it yeah. did list him as a homegrown for Liga MX, which yeah. I think is very important to remember as to why when they say Monterey came in aggressive for him why all of a sudden he would be a priority target for a Liga MX team. Yeah. So Mexico, like a lot of nations, the U.S. has this. Believe it or not, England has this. Uh, I don't know how much people are aware of it. You have to have a certain number of players on your team that were trained in academies in your home country is how they're defining homegrown. So back in the day when uh, – the UK was in the EU, that was a lot easier with the free movement of people in and out of your, your country. It's a little trickier now these days with the Premier League. But generally, yes. And Mexico, uh, with that homegrown rule, has, similar to, to MLS, a lot of foreign talent in attacking positions. You have a lot of, of foreign talent there. Um, even like Funes More, Mori's, uh, who is now a Mexican citizen, was Argentinian. His Argentinian brother uh, played for Everton and played for the national team for Argentina. He, you know, got Mexican citizenship in change. So it's a it's an international heavy attacking talent in Mexico. So to have a homegrown talent who is capable of leading the attack is incredibly valuable in Mexico and generally – only the biggest clubs in Mexico get that luxury. So that is where the absolute value of having Vasquez is there. Uh, let's also keep in mind, Vasquez scored eight league goals 
last year. So let's not pretend that every Premier League giant wasn't beating down FCC's door trying to sign Brandon Vasquez. And Vasquez isn't exactly the youngest player out there. He's not in a position in his career to go take half the salary to prove his worth at some mid-table Dutch club in the hopes that a year or two down the line, somebody else signs him. This was a huge money deal to sign with a huge club that aligns with you know where where his priorities are, I think, all the way through with the exception of do you value the Premier League title or the FA Cup or UEFA Champions League over winning titles in Mexico? Given his background, I suspect he values Mexican titles more than the average USMNT Twitter follower. And you add all that up and it makes a ton of sense. This is also probably about as much money as FC Cincinnati could have reasonably expected to get for Brandon Vasquez. So when that table's on the deal on the table, and when that deal is on the table, I don't know what I just said, and Vasquez is agreeing, hell yeah, this is a slam dunk for every single party involved, and it'd be hard to come up with a better deal for everybody. Yeah, and I think uh, Bogart in his uh, YouTube video on the deal said that Middlesbrough came in and they're in the championship in in England. Um, they put an offer in, but. It was not close to the eight point five million, and it wasn't close on salary. Yeah, and they were never going to be in the same ballpark. Yeah. Um, real quick, and, real know, quick on that yep. point. Um, <clears throat> people may not know this. I've seen a couple of people que- uh, ask questions in the Discord, so I, I just want to point this out. Unlike American sports, um, players have agency in world soccer. So a player cannot be transferred to another team unless they agree to move to that team. They need to agree to typically a new contract and agree with that team. And then the teams agree on terms for the player breaking their existing contract with their team and then signing that new contract with their new team. That does not apply to MLS to MLS teams generally because players have contracts with the league not the teams some dps play by slightly different rules and players can negotiate no trade clauses which are not foreign in american sports but generally if a player is moving from one league to another they have to agree to it so even if fcc agreed to a middlesbrough deal say they offered 25 million dollars and fcc agreed if they were offering brandon vasquez a hundred thousand dollars a year and he said no i'm not moving that deal doesn't happen. So, yeah, sorry. You, you can get back to your point there, Grayson. Oh, no, I think I didn't really have, have much else except, like, you know, I mean, he could tear it up in Mexico. And I think if he does tear it up in Mexico, he probably still is no worse in the U.S. men's national team picture than um, he is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he could probably improve his standing a little bit by doing that. Uh, I did check on transfer market. Monterey does not really sell a lot of players to Europe. Yeah. Um, They have. It's like one every few years. Yeah. So this feels like. This feels like the move, right? I mean, maybe he ends up back in MLS uh, later on, but 
Maybe for San new, Diego. A, a new hated rival, San yes. Diego. <laughs> Bastards. Hate them. Somebody floated the idea of Jesse Marsh being their head coach, and I am ready to fight somebody if that happens. That is great. That is just the perfect foil for those assholes in San Diego. So, so we're all in agreement. Good move for Vasquez. We all knew this was coming. As long as he's happy with this deal, I, I genuinely hope. I said this on Twitter or X or whatever, and I, I do believe I believe this. I hope he's happy with this yeah. because he went into this deal for 2023. I think everyone was on the same page in terms of what his plan was, is that the club's plan was to keep him and try to win this year. and. There were offers on the table to go to Europe. I know that uh, Morchen Glordbach, or however the hell you say it, was after him this summer. I hope that he doesn't walk away from this feeling like he missed his window to go to Europe if that was his goal. I would hate to think that he would view his time here in Cincinnati as having held his career back. I hope it's not that. It sounds to me like the money he's making should hopefully paper over anything yeah. any disappointment that he has but i don't know i hope he's cool and i hope the fans are cool with him because where mls is right now with the way the salary restrictions are in this league there was no way at all fc cincinnati could compete to hold brandon vasquez's services they're just yeah. wasn't. i think i think everybody's cool he's a wasserman player miles robinson is a wasserman player uh, <laughs> if we have a good reputation among agents, it's probably in no small part due to the relationship with Wasserman, uh, who also represents Noonan, used to represent Chris Albright, um, represents Roman Celentano. Um, I think we're, we're I think their, we're good. We're their guys. <laughs> I think everybody's, I think everybody's good. We should All just right. have them buy an ownership stake in FCC and really get this thing going. <laughs> so do we want to talk about the dark side of all this? Yes. All right. I have had it. <laughs> Let's get into this. To here <laughs> with national team Twitter Oof. and these losers haters and weirdos who come crawling out of the woodwork and they're all the same i swear that's the it's a bot farm is that they register for an account on x and they make their name you know usmnt american flag emoji awesome or american flag emoji usmnt news or whatever it is and whenever a player like Miles Robinson decides that, hey, I'm where well, has the audacity to say, I, an American, would like to live in America and play for an American team. These dumb motherfuckers view it like the man is 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 taking a knife to their heart. Like, how dare he? How dare he want to represent our country living in this country and playing in this country? He's un-American for wanting to live here. He's refusing to challenge himself and make himself a better player. Brandon Vasquez going to Mexico. He should, if he had any ambition, he'd go to some third level Dutch team and work his way up. I hate these people. Please talk me down from a ledge because right now I want to start, you know, 
I want to start doxing these people and issuing subpoenas to find out where these people live. Yeah. So the thing is, people, I think, totally misrepresent like what a national team is. Yes. And like, I'm a a national team fan. Same. Guilty. I'm starting to question. (laughs) The guilty by association is tough. (laughs) The national team doesn't develop players. No. Um, It doesn't. Nor should uh, it. And I hate how much the Federation spends on fucking development academies and stuff. Sorry. Continue. Um, It's not how the players earn their living. It's not even like really the point of of soccer. I mean, soccer is like a business. Yes. And the business of soccer is done primarily at the club level. U.S. soccer is a um, arm of a cartel (laughs) that happens to control the ability of players to participate in the World Cup. And to learn more about this, view the movie United Passions. (laughs) Yeah. And they use their ability to control the ability of players to play in the World Cup to make all kinds of dictates and demands on uh, players and clubs. And they have the ability to force clubs to release their highly compensated players to do things like CONCACAF Nations League uh, that offer little monetary benefit to the player no benefit to the club and earn a lot of TV revenue for the cartel. While yes. also putting the players at risk of injury from playing on God knows what playing surface in God knows what country. Yeah. Um, and we don't need to go too deep into this. We've covered the FIFA stuff, I think, at length in prior episodes. Um, but the net of it is. The player does not need to take into account how Greg Berhalter out 42069 <laughs> thinks the kind of profile in the national team should look. Yes. And you might prefer Miles Robinson going to play for Go Ahead Eagles or Volendam FC in the Netherlands, because that means he plays in Europe. But Miles Robinson has the right, and Brandon Vasquez has the right, to go take the contract that, um, you know, he thinks makes the most sense for his career. And we should applaud players uh, for, for doing that. Um, you might get insecure about how that makes American soccer look. But, um, you know, on the one hand, it's very possible that a Columbia team starting an MLS player at right back is going to knock out your favorite Euro USMNT boys of Copa America next summer. <laughs> In fact, likely. Um, a a MLS-heavy <laughs> Columbia, yeah. And that wouldn't, uh, and that wouldn't make... And that wouldn't, you know, make any that would not look any different if Miles Robinson is on the field as like an Excelsior player <laughs> than as an FC Cincinnati player. Right. 
Um, and the other thing about it is I think people, one, we've also said this before, the quality of tacker in MLS is very high. Um, higher on a team-by-team -team basis than the Netherlands. I'll yes. say it. Yeah. Um, there are teams in the Netherlands, about four, that nobody in MLS can touch. Correct. Um, there are a lot of teams in the Netherlands, uh, probably half dozen, who would be like wooden spoon contenders or finish well out of the playoffs in MLS. Um, and then, you know, Miles Robinson is walking into a situation where he's playing in CONCACAF Champions League, and he's going to get to play against like top Liga MX attackers, like Brandon Vasquez. <laughs> <laughs> make it make sense. <laughs> it's, it's insane. Like the... Uh, the point I, I continue to harp on and continue to make is that these folks treat the U.S. men's national team like their club team. And I, the reason why I find that weird, and one, I sent a tweet out about that. It it left its its intended audience. It left containment. And a lot of these USMNT guys were replying to it and quote tweeting it saying, yeah, so what's wrong about that? So no, let me it's all flat circle people though. Yes. It's it's the same group of it's people that I will not support MLS because it doesn't have pro rel and they're right. all followers of Euro super clubs. And it's yes. like, well, I live in Lubbock, Texas and my ability to follow a club team has been, has been cut off by the cartel that is us soccer and some, and if they had pro rel, I would have a club team. So now this has to be my club team. It's like, no man, you're making a choice. Shut the yeah. fuck up. Yeah. The Premier League, which, by the way, was a Super League breakaway to fund themselves with cable funding. So, again, you're you're finding weird, weird allies here in this situation. But I, the reason why I find that weird is if you look elsewhere in the world, dare I say anywhere else in the world, the national team is made up of the 23 best players or 24 best players at that time that you can cobble together. And and Argentina will roll out a starting goalkeeper in a World Cup that is a backup goalkeeper on his own team because he's the best Argentinian goalkeeper. And people in Argentina, sure, I'm sure there is discourse about wanting him to get more starting time. But that doesn't, that's not the end all be all. People aren't screaming and losing their minds that he's not getting starting time. Brazil, 2014. Hosts of the World Cup started in goal, a goalkeeper that was playing for Toronto FC in MLS. Like, this is, these are real things in Brazil. I don't know, pretty good at this sport. So, you just did Argentina throw a, did Argentina fans throw a fit that Tiago Almada from Atlanta United was in their World Cup? Team, are they going to be mad when Barial and Alan Velasco get call ups over the next year? Probably not. They're probably excited that these are the best performers, the best players. Now, if they get called up and suck, that's a different conversation. But you call up and play the best guys that you have. It doesn't matter where they are. These guys are all making good choices, the best choices for their career. They should be one, making as much money as possible because you're playing career short, and two, yeah, you. You're ideally playing for the best team you can play for. I sure there are going to be guys absolutely that take more money from a objectively bad team. See 
everybody that's moved to Saudi Arabia over the last two years. Like Ronaldo. <laughs> right. <laughs> Leo but Messi. <laughs> in general, uh, these guys are going to teams with better coaches than the team that they're leaving. Better facilities. You want a team that has a good nutritionist on staff that can keep you in the best peak performance condition all year round. That matters. And if you go to some backwards, dare I say, you know, backwards country bumpkin Belgium team that has, you know, a guy using 1970s sports science to train the players because... More waffles. That's what'll make you run faster. Overseas, uh, (laughs) soccer is a working class sport and I don't know, stereotypically may poo-poo you know, the the latest scientific findings on sports science or whatever the case is, right? Like, how many guys have we seen move overseas to improve their national team odds and it fucks them up completely. Anybody calling for Mark McKenzie to be called into the national team right now? What happened to Gideon Zellalem by the way? How about Matt Miazga (laughs) who goes over to Chelsea and becomes persona non grata because he can't break into the team and he goes on their lone army. I I could speak at end for this so I apologize. Grayson jump in here. It was very funny because Jesse Marsh uh, noted noted (laughs) Rival podcaster, <laughs> not a uh, European failure in his own right. Uh, Jesse Marsh called it, you know, a bit of a shame that Robinson was signing with FC Cincinnati Oof. and not, you know, uh, Westerloo vegan stott or whatever. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, you know, I think like one. You know, I don't know. I guess you're entitled to your opinion for sure. Absolutely. But no. two, um, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> he brought up he brought up Ricardo Pepe as somebody who like tested himself. And uh, Pepe is kind of a cautionary tale because mm-hmm. he went to Augsburg, couldn't find the field and it cost him a World Cup spot. Yeah. You know who went in his place? His former... Club teammate at FC Dallas, Jesus Ferreira, who was in MLS and was banging in goals all year. If Pepe had stayed in MLS and banged in goals all year, he would have gone to the World Cup. And, uh, you know, we, we, I think when, when Miles Robinson's name first surfaced, we said, you know, it would be great for his Copa America chances to be playing every game. And showing that he still got it. And he could do that at FC Cincinnati. Yep. Uh, no problem. Yeah. I, think, I think there's two points to this. I think, Kevin, your point about this being their club team, these people that follow the US MNT and that form this men's little team Twitter, I think that's part of it. But I think the other issue is that there is a there's almost a Pokemon aspect to this a little bit yeah. where what these people are really after is they're after collectibles. They're after they, a lot of these people have this deep inferiority about being American soccer fans and are in like a lot of these people, I think are genuinely embarrassed to be an American soccer fan. And so they manifest that by wanting more Americans at top quote unquote clubs in Europe 
because it validates their opinions on American soccer. And it's that they have this belief that American soccer is stagnating if we don't have players going overseas to play at these teams. And they're just, it's collectibles. I want an American playing on Chelsea. I want an American playing on Arsenal. I want an American playing on Bayern. And they don't want it for any other reason other than, oh, that is how we finally validate America as a soccer playing country, is that we need to have these players over there. And it's such 1990s thinking. It's like, I'm shocked most of these people aren't in their 50s, just with the way it is. Because yeah, it used to be this, this point of pride that Landon Donovan was over at Everton and that Tim Howard was playing goalkeeper in the Premier League. Now, I mean, it's cool, but I don't give a shit anymore. I don't care. I, I, if, if it works for the players, I don't care that Christian Pulisic is at AC Milan. I just, I don't give a shit. It doesn't, I'm not going to get bothered by it. If it's good for him and he's playing well, that's awesome. But it's, it's not some feather in the cap of American soccer. And American soccer is not going to go away if these players stop getting opportunities in Europe, like it's not like this precious flower where if we criticize it or if, the, if something happens to it, that all of a sudden the sport will disappear. There's a robust American soccer culture. It doesn't it doesn't need these players playing at European super clubs in order to thrive. And I just have this fundamental problem just at the pit of my soul with people suggesting that it is somehow wrong for an American to want to live in America and play in America in an American league or to want to grow soccer in America or want to make American money. How many of these losers online (laughs) would have the balls to turn down a higher paying job because I want to challenge myself living in a country where I don't speak the language, where I have no friends, I have no family. And I'm going to move over there with the shirt on my back because, God damn it, I just, I need a challenge to advance my career. They're not going to do that. I emailed my landlord and told her to double my rent this <laughs> month. I need to grind harder. Right. right. It's, it's so similar to Grindcore. It's, you know, yeah. you know, and for rent less is money. every All day. All of that know? and less money. It would be difficult for most people, I think, to take a job in the Netherlands uh, doubling their salary. All things being, you know, similar to a soccer transfer, let alone taking less money. Like, shut up, Kyle. Like, you (laughs) you live in the same town you went to high school in. And the idea of being away from your buddies for one weekend is a foreign concept to you. You're not moving overseas. Don't put that on other people because you think they owe something to the sport in America. Shut up. The other thing is people have it. People have it backwards. The whole, like, Pulisic at Milan thing uh Pulisic being at Milan isn't what makes the men's national team better what makes the men's national team better is that it has a player who's good enough to start and score a lot for a team like Milan but there's a lot of ways to get that good yeah you know what i mean like like Landon Donovan was a top player at several World Cups as an MLS player when the league was worse than it is now. Um, Eddie Pope is often considered the best center back in American soccer history, and he was a fully career MLS guy. An MLS lifer, as it were. Yeah, so it's not that... And like I'm not 
delusional. I don't think that like MLS teams are as good as Premier League teams or Serie A teams. Correct. But Miles Robinson is not immediately a better player because he's on a Premier League team. Yes. You know, just because he's like on Luton Town or something. Right. I like, mean, yeah. yeah, like Zach Steffen is going to come, like Zach Steffen um, missed out on the last World Cup. Um, he was beaten out pretty handily by a guy who was, for all intents and purposes, an MLS player. You know, he had been an Arsenal player for like two seconds. At the World Cup, so we right. could so we could say Matt Turner was like an Arsenal player at the World Cup, <laughs> but but like he didn't become a different goalkeeper when he became a backup at Arsenal, right? Yeah, like that player can be that good and play for different teams. Like Aaron Bupenza would probably be really good for AC Milan, but he doesn't play for AC Milan. He's still that good of a player. Like he he's still the same quality of player. And so Gabon calls him in because he's one of the best strikers in their pool. Depending on if he shows up, <laughs> that's that's what you're looking for is the highest quality player. And sure, the environment can play an impact. So if Aaron Bupenza moves to USL League 2, you know, you wonder if after a year he's still the player that he is. But when we're talking about these highest of levels, and again, FC Cincinnati is not some backwards podunk place. Like We've got really nice facilities and really good coaching staff, and a lot of investment is going into this place. Miles Robinson is going to be as good, if not a better soccer player, coming to FC Cincinnati. Brandon Vasquez is going to a team that has love me some FC Cincinnati, higher expectations of itself in Monterey. They expect to win the league every single year, every half year, given how Mexico structures their, their setup. Uh, they're not happy to win a supporter shield. They demand trophies every single time they step out onto the field. Um, that's going to drive an expectation. Absolutely. So I, I, I'm not going to say environment plays no role in this, but Brandon Vasquez playing for Monterey is the same Brandon Vasquez who's playing for FC Cincinnati. Pulisic on the bench at Dortmund is the same Pulisic on the bench at Chelsea, uh, is the same Pulisic starting for Milan. So, yeah, I it's insane to yeah, think that there's, that there is plays no, a role. There's no magic to stepping on the field for these teams in Europe. You don't instantly gain 10 extra points on your FIFA card. That is exactly where it does happen, though. And again, looking at contributing factors, FIFA Ultimate Team might actually play a role here where people want to play their like Liverpool All-Star Team and Ultimate Team. And it'd be really nice if like their favorite USMNT player also played in England so they could get like the, the same league bonus when they slot them into their Ultimate Team thing. Beyond stupid. I really, truly think that drives a lot of this as well. I hate so much that we dedicated <laughs> even a second of the podcast to that. <laughs> so much. You're going to scare away all one of our Jake Barford listeners that we've picked yeah. up along the way. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, touch grass, all you people. Yeah. Get a get a club. Like, 
that's fine if like West Ham is your club. Make that your club though. Like put them in your profile and like root for West Ham players to do well on their national team should they be called up. Like stop living and dying by national team call-ups. I I listen to the Guardian Football Weekly podcast. It's it's a good one uh if you're following the Premier League uh and a little bit of European stuff. It is so funny how they cover national team stuff. It is an afterthought. It is a Oh, wonder who he's going to call up for right back. Neat. And they move on. Like, there is no, like, existential crisis. And sure, like, England has a lot of things tied up to it. Just fascinating how other cultures, other countries, other non-American outlets treat national teams compared to how some people live and die. Uh, Tim uh, Tim Weah scores his first Juventus goal. You would have thought the U.S. just won the World Cup. He's he's been there all season, guys. I don't know. It'd be nice if he did this more often. <laughs> Got to catch them all. <laughs> oh God. Um, we went long on this. Is there anything else that we need to touch on here, or should we move on to in the eleven out of the eighteen and get out of here? Let's move on. We're moving on. Part two coming up in the eleven out of the eighteen. See you over there. And before we head on over to part two, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Scentsy Shirts. And I got to be honest with you, if you've never heard of Scentsy Shirts, I don't believe you. Look, they are the best when it comes to FC Cincinnati gear. They are the best when it comes to Cincinnati sports gear as well. They have an amazing selection online and in their two stores, one in Hyde Park, the other in Fort Mitchell. They do amazing stuff. They can also print on demand, by the way. Go check out their stock. And when you do, if you use the code, the post all one word, all caps, they knock 10% off your order. And we kind of get to take credit for sending you over there, right? I think we can all agree that's that's fine. Just let them think that we are how you learned about them. Uh, they also have MLSPA licensed gear. Support the Players Union and FC Cincinnati players with that one. And as I said, they have print on demand in their location. So if they don't have your size in stock online, go to a store. They'll print it for you. Uh, huge thanks to Cincy Shirts for being sponsors of the podcast. Our longest running sponsor as well. Amazing, amazing guys. Happy to be working with them. Check them out again. Sensi Shirts, link in description. Use the code THEPOSTSENSI. Get 10% off your entire order. It doesn't even have to be SCC gear, and you'd be doing a lot for the show. So thank you so much to Sensi Shirts, and thank you for using the code. Let's get into this so we can get out of this. Uh, in the 11, out of the 18, if you have never heard us do this before, uh, one, hi, welcome. Uh, two, in the 11, out of the 18, something we're putting in the 11, something we're taking out of our 18, could be soccer related. Generally, it isn't. Chief, what's in the 11 this week? In the 11 is bowl games, college football bowl, oh, bowl games specifically. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the Pop-Tarts Bowl. <laughs> let's. So, there's a soccer aspect to this. Okay. And that's that over the Christmas holiday, NBC reported that they had achieved their highest rating ever, I think, for a Premier League game. 
Mm-hmm. They had over 2 million people watching, I think, Liverpool play somebody, Liverpool or Arsenal. I don't know. Liverpool don't played the... Arsenal. That was the game. So, okay. Highest rating ever. Two, 2 million people tuning in to watch this game. Wow. The Pop-Tarts Bowl. A <laughs> otherwise forgettable bowl game. 4.7 million people watching this game. <laughs> where they sacrificed... <laughs> a live mascot. That was the first bowl game with an edible mascot was the hook. I'm going to say so, first edible mascot ever, but yes. <laughs> sure. And they ended the game. They, they started the game with the Pop-Tart mascot rising up out of the toaster, complete with pomp, circumstance, and pyro. And they ended the game with the Pop-Tart mascot being lowered into the toaster while holding a sign that said, dreams do come true. Because they had established (laughs) during the course of this broadcast that in the Pop-Tarts cinematic universe, the number one dream of all Pop-Tarts is to be toasted and eaten. (laughs) Which is... Disturbing. A lot of implications. Insert your Christianity joke here, I guess. I don't know. This is the body of the Pop-Tart, which we give it up for you. Um, so wow. that your sins may be forgiven. What do you drink with a pop tart? It can't be milk. Orange juice. Okay. I mean, I feel like a warm S- diet sunny- Mountain Dew is the <laughs> typical company. Well, it depends. <laughs> it, it, it depends on if the pop tart is being enjoyed for breakfast, in which case it's orange juice, or if you're just like ripping a pack open and having a pop tart while sitting around, in which case Dr Pepper. Yeah, maybe. Okay, I'll okay. go with that. Uh, but they lower the pop tart into the giant toaster on the field, and then from the side of the toaster, which is you know kind of an odd way for toasters to function. Never seen a toaster function this way. <laughs> slid out an edible version of the mascot that was then eaten by the players on the field. In what if you were explaining this to aliens that had just landed, <laughs> they would assume there was a religious significance to what was going on. Or at least some sort of a weird cannibalist thing. I love this. I think that um, I think that this is something that college sports should offer as a sort of idea to MLS. I think more nonsense with mascots. I old heads know that the original plan for FCC 1.0 would have involved <laughs> the FCC mascot, which I think was going to be a knight, uh, beheading opposing team mascots and looking players. In front of the Bailey, as the defense point of the castle, there was going to be a whole medieval theme. They were going to behead mascots at the soccer game. I'm ready to revisit that. I think <laughs> pulling a sword out of a stone, very, you know, you know, it's King good Arthur. Start. Good start. Let's see that sword be used for something. Uh, how hard do we have to push to get the sword bearer at the next home hell is real to then behead a crew cat <laughs> I mean, we gotta win some games first before we can pull that move i think oh fair enough but man it would give me hype um, grayson were you more of a toaster strudel guy or a pop tart guy Ooh. absolutely a pop tart guy what's your go-to flavor um i mean I probably don't want to admit it, but the s'mores Pop-Tart. The s'mores is the best one, and anybody who says brown sugar cinnamon is a liar. I was a st- blueberry with the icing, with the frosting. Good. Sorry, I'm going all, going classic here. I rarely ever toasted my Pop-Tarts either. I was just a rip them out of the bag. and Ooh. They put two in the bag for a reason. You're a terrorist if you put the bag back with just one Pop-Tart. You've got to oh, eat yeah. both in one sitting. Um, 
I don't know. I just I would love to have been the guy who was working at Pop-Tarts or whatever <laughs> conglomerate owns Pop-Tarts the morning after that bowl game. That guy had to have been dapped up by every single person working in the building. Like this was the best marketing idea we have ever had. This guy has C-suite and corner office written all over him. Get him an elevator up to the top floor. A hundred percent. I will say, though, I I I hate to be the the one rain cloud on the parade. I was promised an edible mascot. And in my mind, I was imagining something else. But to have the mascot come down and then a edible version of the mascot. I mean, if we all ate a cake that looked like Gary the Lion, is that an edible mascot? No. I wanted somebody in the suit so while they hated it. You want to you want to put Gary on the spit roast and roast and eat Gary? Is what I'm just saying. If you tell me the, the it's an edible mascot, I need somebody in the suit while it's being eaten. So I would say this: it's not the first edible mascot. <laughs> There's the Texas Longhorn. <laughs> there's the you know i mean i'm not saying i would do it but the georgia bulldog <laughs> it's there sure if, if if cooking them is on the table you know you can go nuts <laughs> the so the lsu arkansas, bangle yeah. arkansas razorbacks delicious a little pig roast going on <laughs> i mean every mascot is edible if you try hard enough this this yeah but like the, 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 the teams the that bring out real the Dame fighting Irish, the leprechaun. I'm sure leprechaun is delicious. <laughs> yeah, it's made of marshmallow. <laughs> yeah, everyone knows that. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, Grayson, any 11 for you? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can skip you if I need to. Yeah, skip me. Skip you. Okay, that means it's stuck with me. Um, in my eleven, if I if I may pat myself on the back here, won the fantasy football league this year. So I I I think I put fantasy football in my eleven way back when the season started. Uh, was very happy to win this one. Look, this was this was a season where we overcame some adversity. Uh, our league has a, a a relatively high buy-in fee, and so most teams in the league have a have have a co-owner setup. And I I was a part of a three-person ownership group for years for years, and this year. I had to break off. Uh, we had we had a late dropout of the season. I had to go off on my own, so I was on my own. And the reason why this owner left is we are a keeper league. You're allowed to keep two players from year to year as you play your fantasy football. And this this owner did not lock in their keepers in time, and so they forfeited the right to keepers, and they threw a fit, and so they quit the league. So I inherited this team with no keepers in a two quarterback league. Auction draft, that's tough. I'm just bragging about myself right now. Won the damn thing. Second seed overall. Beat the first seed in the playoffs. Uh, felt good. I just got to say, well done to me. Shout out to Hamsterdam. And I, uh, yeah, I don't know where else I, I could go with this, but so I was, the, the I was question, really proud of this. The question I got to <laughs> ask is, it's not interesting to win the league anymore. I'm Fair. always more interested now in, what was the punishment you avoided by not finishing in last place? So last place is contested by the two 
worst finishers in the regular season. They play a three-week aggregate score toilet bowl, the punishment bowl as we call it. So good. Uh, we had a, a runaway loser of this one, of the punishment bowl. And their punishment is, uh, I, I might have mentioned this one on the podcast before, but I will mention it again. Um, they have to run a charity lemonade stand in public uh, so that other members of the league can go and buy lemonade from them. They have to be out there for at least two hours or until they raise $200 for charity or until the authorities shut down their <laughs> illegal uh, food service <laughs> business. Uh, that, that'll go ahead and get you uh, get you out of the punishment right then and there. Wait, and where was where does the lemonade stand have to be? Because there's a big difference between a grown man running a lemonade stand on like Hyde Park Square and like a grown man running a lemonade stand across from a preschool. Yeah, so the last one was, in fact, Hyde Park Square. Um, I thought it'd be brilliant to set up at a Bengals pregame or a Reds pregame. You'd probably make decent amount of money there. Um, I don't think it has to be near uh, the preschool thing. I wouldn't advise <laughs> uh, because you do need to be, and I, I love the vagueness here, you need to be in costume. Now, the costume is not specified, but you need to be costumed in some way, shape, or form. Now, we also have this clause in our league, which is you have to have the punishment done before the draft of the following year. However, if you don't, you have to get your belly button pierced. Oh. And... One of my previous co-owners did, in fact, have to get his belly button pierced because for that year's punishment, he did not get a henna tramp stamp tattoo in time. So <laughs> so instead of getting a temporary tattoo, he got a permanent piercing. He did. He did. He did eventually take it out after a week. Uh, I, I've not checked on his belly button recently, but I think he's healed up just fine. Um so yeah, the belly button rule keeps everybody honest. It's good. <laughs> this this makes having to watch a Dinesh D'Souza film seem tame by comparison. <laughs> so there you go. Um, I'm I'm open to new punishment ideas though. We we tend to rotate every year or every two years. So <laughs> I I think we are absolutely in the market for a new punishment bowl. So if somebody has a good punishment, let me know. Um, Grayson, um, did I buy you enough time? <laughs> yeah, um, my, oh, crap, this is an out of the 18. Um, in the 11. You could twist it around. So I would, I would do my out of the 18 first, and then I'll come up with an in the 11. <laughs> okay, good. Chaos <laughs> so out energy. Of the, out of the 18 is, um, yeah, for me, it's going to be the prequel. Um, I'm very tired of like there being like a popular thing and then instead of like expanding on the universe or like taking things in new directions we just go back and then just like show what happened like to the same people like before that Preach. it's just kind of like i think it's like like, it was, like, always silly, for example, to, like, set Star Trek Discovery, like, before the original Star Trek series, because then you have to, like, come up with stuff of, like, why they have, like, technology that was never available, 
in the original series and uh you're just like you're constrained it's like a security blanket you're like kind of constrained to like playing in the sandbox that's already there versus like coming up with new ideas mm-hmm. um there's like an alien movie coming out um later this year that i guess takes place between the first two aliens movies why no idea. So it's not even a prequel. It's like a right. inter like a between mid-quel. a yeah. midquel, a midquel, <laughs> a nightquel. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna put my ass to sleep. Hey, uh, I'll I, I will I'll exempt um, something like the movie Prey, um, because like Prey was not like telling you about the predator from the first Predator movie. It's just telling you like an entirely different predator story, yeah, in a different setting. That's very. Fu- it's got no, like no no characters in common with the original movie. You got to come up with like a whole thing, and it does like expand uh, the universe in ways that most of these like prequels um, don't. Yeah, and like I know people like you know backstory or whatever. For me. I think backstory is largely useful as like explaining why the characters in our story are in the positions that they're in and why they act certain ways. It's not, it should not be like an end in and of itself. Yeah. Well, no, it's, it's also, this was always the thing that bothered me about prequels is that when you involve the same characters, a lot of the Jeopardy goes away yes. when I know how they all turn out. Like, I'm a Star Wars nerd, and, you know, it was, was it interesting to see how Anakin Skywalker became Darth Vader? Sure, but there wasn't, like, gonna be, I knew there wasn't going to be some swerve where all of a sudden, oh, by the way, everything turns out happily ever after. It's, I already, I already know this story. And then what it forces a lot of these things to do, this is especially a problem with, like, genre fiction, sci-fi, fantasy, is that they are attempting to shoehorn additional movies and content into movies that were never set up to have that happen in the first place, which leads to mental gymnastics of the first order to try and make it. So, like, I remember with Star Wars, when they made that the Clone Wars TV show, which was actually very entertaining uh, for what it was. There is one line in Revenge of the Sith where Anakin Skywalker says to General Grievous, I thought you would be taller. And because of that, they had to go through six seasons of mental gymnastics to avoid Anakin and General Grievous, the villain and the hero, ever meeting. Because then (laughs) it would cause a problem with him saying that line in the movie that was obviously just a throwaway joke. Right. Because otherwise it wouldn't be like he would know he's not taller because he's seen him before. Right, right. Or yeah, it, it I I agree, Grayson, completely. That like it ruins your ability to tell a story. Like all you can do is essentially act out a plot synopsis. That, like it's there's just nothing interesting. There's nothing more you can do. You can't add anything. You can't add any new technology. And the other thing that always bothers me is 
the actors are never right. You're always going to either have to recast new actors or you're going to have to take the same actors and do some weird digital de-aging or makeup to make them younger. And it just, it never works. It never works out well. Um, yeah, just tell a new interesting story. Like Star Wars is the perfect example of like, you have a fascinating universe. You built a weird world. Just tell weird stories in it. That's where Andor, I think, was interesting. Sure, it's technically a prequel depending on where you're starting in it, but it's just an interesting story on its own. The Mandalorian started off that way, and the second they stopped being this way, the show lost a lot of its quality, which is just like, give me a cool bounty hunter doing bounty hunter stuff stories. Like, that's neat. Like, that's fun. You build a neat universe. Live in it. I don't know. Um, I, one of the things that's like really that works really well in like the original Mad Max movies is like each sequel, the world is entirely different and like screwed up in a new and interesting way. Yeah. You know, so they all feel like very different from each other. I'm not a fan of this. And maybe it'll be good. But conceptually, I'm not a fan of this Furiosa mm -hmm. prequel coming out because one, Anya Taylor-Joy, not Charlize Theron uh, for me. And then two, like, again, like, we know where she ends up, where the character ends up. Right. I don't care how she, like, loses her arm. Right. You just, you can read that on the, on the, you know, Mad Max wiki and, and gain the same amount of, oh, neat. <laughs> I never once in my life wondered where Han Solo got his dice. Right. No, or or the entire movie, I swear, was just designed similar to your your one line about Grievous was just to solve the uh, the Kessel Run in so many parsecs. <laughs> it's just they needed they needed to explain why they used a measurement of distance to explain the uh, what was clearly everybody was referring to as time. Um, oh, it's because he found a shortcut. Oh, okay, that's like that's literally the entire purpose just, just, of that movie. <laughs> so stupid. It's a fine and I, movie. I worry, but, and I worry yeah. also that like this is going to get worse as it gets better and easier to take actors and then yes. reskin like real actors with CGI overlays of de-aged original actors. Like we're probably only, I don't know, five, ten years maybe from them being able to shoot an entire new Star Wars movie with young Mark Hamill in an AI voice doing Luke Skywalker or shoot another Star Trek with Captain Kirk with, you know, William young William Shatner doing that. And that's really like, we're going to reach a certain point where just content folds in on itself and nothing new gets created. It would, why would you ever have a young up and coming actor do something when you can just put Lawrence Olivier over top of them and have some classical actor. Why would you ever have a new person voicing a character when you have AI James Earl Jones that can provide the voice for Mufasa in a new movie or Darth Vader in a new movie? It's just at some point we're going to get overburdened by this nostalgia shit and it's going to become easier and cheaper to give people what they want with the people they want in it than trying to try out new things. That raises like a side question that I don't want to go into because I we have to finish this podcast like someday. 
but like it like bothers me a little bit when like very famous people keep getting cast in like voice acting roles oh yeah because like there's like starving voice actors out there <laughs> that are <laughs> like, better at it yes yeah they're probably better at it so whatever yes completely agree um chief what's out of your 18 out of my 18 is the stanley cup Ooh, wait which one uh-huh. Uh. <laughs> um I don't know if, you, if this is this is about as up to date as we're going to get and unfortunately this podcast isn't going to be released and this will seem out of date by the time we release it. But uh apparently there was a stampede at Target stores nationwide because everyone wanted to buy a what I can only describe as a metal tumbler like uh yes. well, like something you would drink like a hot beverage out of if you're brewing coffee at home and it went viral because apparently there was some picture of it surviving a car fire or looks indestructible made by Stanley and everybody rushed out to target in a, on a January morning and there were riots over this fucking cup. I don't understand this. I like, I understand it when it's tickle me Elmo or whatever <laughs> the hot toy your kid needs to have, but these are grown adults going to buy a mug for coffee. I don't uh, care how nice of a mug it is. I don't care how indestructible it is. Unless you are planning to ride in a demolition derby or be a professional arsonist and burn down successive houses for the insurance money, I don't know why you need this. Why this is any different than the $15 one that you buy at a truck stop or that you were given in a white elephant gift exchange. Yet we over and over again in society we find like this thing is a hot new craze and it needs to do whatever. And then I'm just, I'm beyond mad about the fact that it's the Stanley cup. There's one Stanley cup. (laughs) I don't need my timeline being cluttered by riot over Stanley cup. And I tune in to like the click the link looking for a hockey fight or something like that. (laughs) And instead it's a bunch of middle-class Karens running around a target, trying to buy a beverage cup. I'm out of my 18. I don't need to know anything else about it. I'm done. There's one day a year you get to do this and it's Black Friday. It's fun for that one day only. <laughs> I don't need store riots on other days of the week. Well, Chief, a couple of corrections here. One, the Stanley Cup craze, the Stanley Tumblr craze, has been going on for about two years now. Uh, if you talk to any any white woman, they'll tell you all about this. Uh, what it is, is uh, what I will call soft power in uh, middle-class America. It is a way to sort of signal to the others that you know what's up. You know you know what type of heel is in fashion. You, you, know, you know what's going on here. So having a Stanley is like a status symbol. Uh, a lot of women got in the habit of collecting these. Um, and you are right. It was a viral video that really kicked it off. It was a viral TikTok. Uh, a woman's car caught on fire, burst into flames. Everything is completely burned out. Uh, she retrieves the Stanley uh, from the center console. The ice was still ice in it. And I got to say, it's a hell of a piece of marketing. Yeah, <laughs> they nothing. paid her to burn her own car somewhere. Uh, they did actually, Stanley, the company, did buy her a new car because that, yeah. that TikTok. Yeah, that, it, def- it definitely wasn't pre-planned, it, obviously. It, it helped. So the riots you're hearing about, which again will be old news by the time this comes out, was that Target was selling a Stanley Starbucks collaboration special edition cup. And let me tell you, 
as a hot ticket item for these folks. Just so. replace replace this with Beanie Baby, and I can tell you how the story ends. <laughs> yeah, pretty much though. It's it's still equally ridiculous. I don't know why you need more than one. A lot of people own a bunch of these, like a bunch of them. All right, now that my my wife owns an inordinate number of travel coffee mugs, none yes. of which are more valuable than ten bucks, but. Right. She, uh, she just, it's, she'll come home from her work every so often with 10 of them in a bag that she's been accumulating. So I don't get it. I don't understand it. Out of my 18. Grayson, can you give me an in the 11 before you leave us? That's a, that's allowed. It's allowed. It's frowned upon. It's the off season. (laughs) So it's a literal in the 11. (laughs) (laughs) Pencil him right back into the 11. As soon as he signs, he'll be right up there with Brett Halsey starting game day one. Um, No, that's perfect. Uh, My out of my 18. um, It's just it's a situation that I, I think some men, most men, all men can relate to. And I'll say no women can. Uh, Are we getting a sponsorship by hymns? No, this is worse. So (laughs) this is going to the men's room because you really have to pee. You go to the urinal, you finish peeing, you realize you also have to shit. There's no good way to go from urinal to stall without looking insane. I've never felt so much like social anxiety about how to manage this situation. Let's just say I've never felt more like a secret agent than like, Nobody's coming in. Coast is clear. I think I could just walk directly to the stall and I made it. So there you go. I don't know if anybody else has experienced this, but man, it was it was a little stressful there for a moment. <laughs> I'd probably go to another bathroom. I would leave and go someplace else. <laughs> I was debating that. I was like, do I leave and go to an entirely different part of the building? <laughs> it would be the worst, right? I don't know how to explain it. But to go from the urinal to turn around and walk into a stall, you would look like a psychopath. Yeah. Although, it, <laughs> on another note, I mean... We were talking, I mean, a couple of friends were talking about this one day. We were talking about what what's a power move. Mm. One of the things that came up as a power move was farting at a urinal. Oh, it's a major good. power move. Just like you're announcing your authority to everyone else in the bathroom and anyone has a problem with that. It's like, sorry, this guy's the alpha here. Might be an alpha move to go from the urinal directly to the stall and be like, I handle my business separately, folks, like a real man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like doing it on purpose. That's a great idea. Yeah. yeah. It's, you, know, you know what? They they serve different purposes, son. And I can't explain to you why it's important that you use both, but it is. It'd be like some real hangups, like some truly <laughs> troubling toxic masculinity where you do not believe in peeing you sitting know, down. You know what? <laughs> I'm into this idea. This is what I'm going to do this going forward. If, if the like urinal's this. there, we got, we got, we got one for each, and I'm going to use both because, goddammit, my tax dollars paid for it. The uh, the farting at the urinal reminds <laughs> me of this as well. Uh, there is no worse person than the person on the phone in a public stall, especially at work. 
I oh, that's, that's hilarious. No, when you're like going, to, when you're walking to the bathroom and you can hear someone watching a video on the can. I just watching turn and a walk video, out. I can't do it. I'm watching out. a video is one thing. I people have been on the phone, and for those people, I intentionally am as loud as possible. <laughs> you do not get to put anything on me by your plan, poor planning, your poor decision making, whatever this is. It is not my problem, and you need to be exposed for what is happening right now. Although another big time power move facetiming in that situation would be a power move <laughs> facetime on the toilet's great <laughs> <laughs> because, because everyone would figure it out the person would figure it out at some point it's like wait are you, are you in the bathroom that might literally be why zoom invented the blur background option just to save people their jobs <laughs> i guarantee you there have been people that have done like zoom i know there's people that do zoom on the, the john i know that oh, for yeah. a fact Oh yeah. Um, uh, I'm glad oh, Grayson got down for this portion of the conversation. <laughs> <That's probably good. laughs> uh, well, um, we lost we lost Grayson along the way, but Chief, another another two hours in the can here, and I do mean that both <laughs> ways in this situation. <laughs> and if you're listening to this on the can, thank you for your support of the postcast. Yes, and go fuck yourself, San Diego. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Cincy Postcast, which is a production of The Post Cincy. You can check us out at thepostcincy.com for all of our written content, as well as links to our social media. You can follow us on Twitter, and as well, you can join us on our Discord server. You can find links to that server both in this episode description as well as on our website. That is where most of our conversations are going on. We have a lovely community there talking about FC Cincinnati, MLS, anything and everything else and everything in between. We also want to give a huge thanks to Jim Trace and the Makers for providing all of the music you've heard throughout this episode. They're an amazing local Cincinnati band. Again, more information about them is in the description of this episode. And if you enjoyed what you listened to, and you've made it to the end, so I'm going to assume you liked it or you just can't reach your stop button, please like us, review us, subscribe to us, wherever you are getting your podcasts, that is going to be really, really helpful. But more importantly, share this with a friend. A personal recommendation helps sped a podcast so much further. So please share this if you know somebody in your life who's an FC Cincinnati fan, an MLS fan, somebody that you think would enjoy this, pass it on over. Thank you so, so much again for listening. It blows me away that people continue to listen to us. And thank you so, so much again.